This is episode 191 with New York Times bestselling author, an absolute legend in the world of ultra running, the ultra marathon man himself, Mr. Dean Karnazes. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to is truly special. I'm joined by a leader in the ultra world and quite possibly one of the most inspiring people I've ever spoken with, Dean Karnazes. He's run hundreds of miles at a time, 50 marathons in 50 days, and experienced some of the most extreme environments in the world. You're going to learn a lot from this man. But before we start, I want to make sure we're all registered for the same race today. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry to give you the knowledge, mindsets, and tools to get faster, stronger, and become a more capable athlete. Because if you truly understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage and invest in yourself, you'll be a much better runner. Don't miss our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on weightlifting for runners, injury prevention, how to run with better form, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video we publish on a weekly basis. And of course, if you've never visited strengthrunning.com, this is where it all started back in 2010. We've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. And please support our sponsor, Beam, who's helping me make even more episodes of the podcast for you. I've fallen in love with their products. Go to beamtlc.com and use code JASON to save 15% on your order on anything they offer. Now, I'm using their products almost daily right now, and I'm particularly fond of Dream, their cinnamon hot cocoa sleepy time mix. And if you sign up for a monthly subscription, that's already 20% off. So your discount ends up being 35% for your first month. Go to beamtlc.com, use code JASON at checkout, and improve your hydration today. All right, our guest today likely needs no introduction. He's an icon in the running community. He was named by Time Magazine as one of the most 100 influential people in the world. He's an ESPY winner, a three-time winner of Competitor Magazine's Endurance Sports Athlete of the Year Award and recipient of the President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition Lifetime Achievement Award. He is Dean Karnazes. Dean has done so many ultra endurance races and challenges that I don't even want to offer a synopsis because it wouldn't do it justice. Nevertheless, if you don't know, he's run 350 miles in one go, a marathon at the South Pole, completed 50 marathons in 50 consecutive days. He's won the 135-mile Badwater Ultra Marathon in Death Valley, and he's on the podcast today to talk about his career, the sport itself, and what it means to run ultra distances. Don't miss his new book, A Runner's High, My Life in Motion, which is now available. I truly enjoyed my brief time with him, and I hope you leave this conversation more inspired than before. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Dean Karnazes. Welcome to the show, Dean. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me run by. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So 
Let me first get this out of the way. Your book, Ultramarathon Man, was one of the first running books that I ever bought. And I'm sure you get this all the time, but you know, I was a young track athlete at the time. I admittedly wasn't really interested in ultras whatsoever, but it was one of the most encouraging and inspiring books I've ever read about running. And I do credit it with helping me just get so involved in the sport on running. So thank you for going out on that drunken birthday run so many years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, when I hear stories like yours, I'm, I'm obviously very honored that, um, you know, I, I had some uh, small influence uh, on your career decisions and your direction in running. So uh, it's a privilege. I'm, I'm glad we're uh, having this conversation. Yeah, and I, I do hope to finish my first ultra at some point. I haven't yet ventured into the longer distances, but you know, I want to start with a big question. You've written that you don't run for competition, but for the experience, for exploration. It's an experiential issue for you. What draws you to the types of ultra endurance challenges that that give you those experiences? I mean, what is so compelling about the the more extreme nature of the running that you do? I, I think it comes down to a sense of adventure and exploration uh, to test myself, um, not only against great distances, but about extremes in the environment. So, you know, you coming with, you know, from a collegiate background, you know, your, your running reality and your running uh, worldview was obviously very different than mine. Um, you know, when, where you came from was about racing. And, you know, the best runner was the fastest runner. So you were about speed and about competition against others, where running an ultra marathon like the Badwater Ultra Marathon across Death Valley, you know, in the middle of summer, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit about competition, but it's also about, you know, survival and, um, you know, encountering the unknown and, and uh, perseverance and persistence and, and all those sort of things. So it's almost like a different form of running versus, you know, getting on a track and racing against other people. Yeah, I can see how the goals are are very different. Um, now, isn't the quest for, you know, these grand challenges, these big adventures, you know, whether you're running 200 miles or, you know, maybe you're doing a marathon every day for 50 days, is that another form of competition? And, and if so, what what kind of competition would you say that is? You know, I think ultimately is a competition against self. And I write a bit about this in the book. I mean, you know, there's always the analogy that, when you're running, it's always, it's you versus you. But I would kind of argue that. I mean, when you're running, you know, track, it's you versus the competitor. <laughs> you're going to do your best, but, you know, you're going to try and beat the guy next to you. I think maybe during a marathon where, you know, conditions are held kind of constant and, you know, you just got 26.2 miles of, of, of road ahead of you, it might be you versus you. But I think when you move into the ultra marathon domain, it's not only you versus you, it's you versus the environment. You know, so much of it is, is a battle with, you know, a mountain or a desert. And those are the kind of things that I really, um, really love. It's, it's more about, you know, you taking on this challenge and, and overcoming your, you know, your self-doubt, but also overcoming the mountain. And, you know, if you beat the comp a competitor in the process, that's, that's well and good, but it's not the main goal of the race, at least for me. You know, you've run in some of the craziest environments that you could possibly imagine around the world from Death Valley to high mountain peaks to, you know, unsafe places in Asia. What would you say is the most challenging 
environment that you have ever experienced when you're doing an ultra challenge or some sort of extreme endurance race? Wow, that's that's a good question. I mean, uh, certainly I ran across the uh, Atacama Desert one time, which is in South America, which is the driest place on earth. And it was a six day, 250 kilometer self-supported run. And you had to carry everything. When I say self-supported, you had to carry everything you needed in a backpack. So, yeah, and, and you're sleeping in a tent on the ground and it get over a hundred degrees during the day. And then, you know, uh, below freezing at night, that was challenging. Um, but I think the most challenging was probably the, the run to the South Pole, just because the South Pole is so barren and inhospitable. And we got weathered in, you know, I was supposed to be home in, in 12 days and 30 days later, I stumbled back into the house. So, you know, the, those freezing, frigid, cold temperatures, being stuck on the polar plateau, not being able to charge our satellite phone because it was, you know, basically a whiteout condition uh, and living on, you know, dehydrated or, you know, freeze dried food uh, for a month. <laughs> that was pretty challenging. <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, I've heard, you know, the, the Antarctica in those regions compared with being much more hospitable than the surface of Mars. And uh, I can only imagine a hundred years in the future, you know, uh, Dean Karnazes would be like, I'm running the first marathon, the first ultra on the planet of Mars. And you would be down for that in a second. <laughs> I think it takes an ultra marathon to get to Mars. So I hope there's a treadmill on the, uh, on the spacecraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll be tethered to it, but uh, it'll, it'll work. So, Dean, I'd love to veer off script a little bit. I have so many random questions for you. You've had such an incredible career, and there's so many little factoids and stories in your new book that I'd love to address. And I know we don't have time today, but you mentioned that you haven't really had an injury in your running career, and you've done some of some things that most runners could never imagine doing. Um, is that true? And, and what do you think the reason is for that? How, how would you maybe advise other runners on staying healthy when, you know, running is a sport that does have a fairly high injury rate. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, like you said, I'm, I'm blessed or lucky not to have ever experienced uh, a, an injury. Um, and I think it has to do with uh, cross training. So I do a lot of cross training and that is, you know, I think very helpful in having um, some muscle mass to support your running. I think just running is kind of a recipe for injuring injuries. So I, I do a lot of cross training um, both um, with upper body and on, you know, on a bike. So I condition my legs. Uh, I also have pretty good biomechanics. You know, my alignment is really true. I don't supinate or pronate too much. I kind of, you know, I, I kind of run as a runner should. I always have. I always, you know, what's in vogue now is kind of the midfoot strike. You know, the the slight forward lean, um, the accentuated arm swings, the um, quicker foot turnover. That's always how I naturally run. Um, but again, you know, my alignment being good is, is just something that, uh, comes with, you know, um, your, your genes. There's a saying that the best thing you can do in, in, as a long distance runner is to choose your parents well. So I, th I encourage you to choose good parents with good alignment. Yeah, I think I think alignment is one of those interesting issues about running that, you know, you, you can't really change. And, and I've had some conversations in the past with folks who, who asked me about my running form and I don't have perfect alignment and I don't think that should ever really stop anyone, but it is one of those things that you have to work around for sure. Have uh, you adjusted your footwear? I mean, how have you worked around it? I'm curious. Yeah. So, uh, I pronate 
I wouldn't say I overpronate because you know a certain amount of pronation is normal, but yeah. uh, also one of my one you know my feet don't track perfectly parallel with each other, and you know I, I think that is one of the reasons why I've had trouble with very high weekly mileage levels. So you know every time I've hit ninety miles in a week, I get hurt. So I have to be really careful with not doing the mileage, you know, overdoing that and making sure that I'm doing a good amount of strength training just to make sure that, you know, like you mentioned, you know, you're strong enough, robust enough, resilient enough to really handle all the mileage that you're doing and all the impact of the running. Um, but yeah, it, it hasn't really held me back too much. Uh, I've had a lot of injuries, but I think that has taught me a lot more about myself and, and about what I'm capable of and even what I'm not capable of, you know, so it's all a learning experience, right? Yeah. And I mean, do you run most of your miles on, on a road, like a hard surface or on a trail or where do you do most of your running? I try to get on softer surfaces whenever I can and get in a lot of variety. So I do live in the city of Denver. So, you know, I'm, I'm a city boy, but we have a lot of parks here and uh, there's a variety of surfaces within those parks, including my favorite, the crushed cinder path that is smooth and soft. It's great for workouts. It's great for easy runs. It's so versatile. I love it. Yeah, we have uh, something similar called the California carpet, which is like pine needles on a trail. It's so soft and cushiony and, and, and wonderful. But I encourage people to, you know, to run on trails when they can on natural surfaces and also, you know, do a lot of hill work, which I, I do all the time. And I'm constantly, um, you know, climbing and descending, rarely running on flat, uh, you know, landscape for very long. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that in how it builds strength in a very running specific way. So if you want to be a strong runner, one of the best things you can do, you know, of course, there's strength training and that's important. You've mentioned that, but hill running on top of it, including that as part of your repertoire, not just as formal hill workouts, but just getting in a lot of varied terrain, you know, and that's not just the surface that you're running on, but it's the elevation changes. So yeah, I love that. That's that's really great advice. I'm always saying how, you know, running injuries are technically repetitive stress injuries. So let's try to reduce that repetitive stress. Let's vary the elevation. Let's vary the terrain. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, some people say to me, well, I live in the Midwest. You know, we <laughs> we don't have hills. Um, and I say, get into a stadium and run stairs. You know, running stairs is is a good a good hack for hills. Yes. And I have some coaching clients who will, you know, they live in Florida, not too many hills in Florida either. And they'll go into a parking garage and run up the incline on the ramp. Now, I'm always like, be very careful. That seems kind of dangerous to me. But, you know, they know the parking garage and, and I trust them to be safe. <laughs> <laughs> what about the exhaust? <laughs> I know that that doesn't seem very healthy to me either. Yeah. But Dean, th thanks for allowing me a, a little bit of a detour there. Um, I want to get back to your book because it, it's just really great. And, and I think one of the amazing stories that you tell in the book is kind of, you know, you, used to, you ran your first ultra in 1993. And that was probably when everyone thought you were nuts for running even a marathon distance. You know, back then ultras were so incredibly niche. And I, I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about the changes in the ultra running scene, because, you know, you you were just such an early adopter and the sport has exploded in popularity, but also just in the performances in the last, say, five to 10 years. So what, what really has changed? Yeah, I think that in 1993, when I ran my first ultra marathon, there was something like 3,500 finishers of an ultra marathon in North America. And last year, there was something like 135,000. 
finisher. So the sport is, you know, it's blossomed, it's exploded, if you will. The growth has been phenomenal, but it's still, you know, when you think about it, it's a very small base of people. It's 135,000 finishers in North America, where, you know, just in the U.S. alone, there's about 600,000 finishers of the marathon. And then if you look at like a, a 10K, there was, you know, close to uh, 7 million finishers. So it's still a very niche sport, but it has grown up in a lot of ways. Um, one way you mentioned is the competitiveness. And, you know, when I started doing it, um, you know, I, I, was, I was a surfer that was drawn to adventure. You know, I used to love surf safaris, and I kind of saw ultramarathoning as another sort of safari. And I didn't have any formal training. I mean, I ran competitively in high school when I was a freshman, and that was it. But now, as, as you've seen and you mentioned, there are, you know, world-class collegiate runners. There are Olympic qualifying marathoners that are getting into ultra running and they're just crushing it. I mean, it's, it's almost every ultra has a new course record set, you know, almost without exception. And that's because the depth of talent now is, is phenomenal and it's, it's more competitive than ever. But that said, I still think that most people do an ultra marathon for the experience, not to win it. I still think it's, it's a very small percentage of the ultra marathoners that are, you know, at the front of the pack and are competitive. Most people are in it to, you know, to either achieve their, their personal best or just to take on some new challenge. And I think that's the beauty of the sport. I think that, um, you know, if you go to like the Boston Marathon, you know, when you see someone, the, the first thing they ask you, what, what's your goal? You know, they, it's all about time where, you know, if you talk to someone who ran the, like the Hard Rock Marathon, I mean, the, the Hard Rock Ultra, you, you know, the question is, did you finish? <laughs> you know, did you make it? And that's, a, you know, and you look at a race like um, the Barkley Marathon where, you know, very few people ever make it. Yeah, the, the Barkley's Marathons is, is just, I'd love to do an entire podcast just on that insane event because, you know, it's held every year and most years they don't even have any finishers, never mind, you know, a, a few podium finishers. And so that, that is just a fascinating thing. And yeah, I think there's a, an interesting dynamic with ultra marathons and, you know, they're almost so difficult, especially if you get into a mountainous ultra, one that has high altitude or an extreme environment with a lot of heat or, you know, down at the South pole, it's almost a binary issue. Can you finish it or will you not finish it? And just finishing is an incredible accomplishment because of all of those obstacles that are in the way. Where do you see the sport in 10 years? Is it going to continue becoming more and more popular and more and more competitive over time? What kind of, you know, I just talked to uh, someone who, who thinks, you know, the 200 mile distance is now becoming the <laughs> new 100 mile distance. So where are we going to be a decade from now? Yeah, I think there'll be continual permutations on, on the difficulty and distance of races. I mean, we've already seen it starting to emerge with, with longer races. I'm, you know, the 100 miler is now the new marathon, where, the, like you said, the, the 200 miler is now the new 100 miler. Um, I think we'll see these kind of niche events continuing to grow. I think um, we'll see a lot more adventure, you know, type events. Like um, I mentioned the Atacama Desert Crossing, which is part of the, the Four Desert Series. They put on these races in these, you know, like the Gobi Desert, the Sahara, um, you know, Antarctica. I think more people will be drawn to these um, kind of uh, experiential events where they're multi-day and really um, exotic locations. Uh, I think that mainstream uh, ultramarathoning, you know, the, 
the records will continue to fall at, you know, races like the JFK and Comrades. Uh, and I think that the sport hopefully will not grow up too much. I mean, we saw a lot of consolidation in marathoning. Marathoning used to be kind of a mom and pop sport because the races were all independent. And then, you know, big organizations like Rock and Roll came in and they kind of consolidated everything. If you look at ultra marathoning, there's, there's few, um, you know, coordinated series. Most races, again, are just, you know, someone saying, hey, I want to do a race here and, you know, opening up entry and getting like 40 or 50 runners. And that's kind of magical. I hope that never goes away. Yeah, there's a certain close-knit, tight community feel at a lot of ultra events. And, you know, while I've never finished an ultra, I did start one a few years ago and unfortunately had to pull out of it. But, you know, just the the vibe at an ultra is so different than what you would experience at a park run or a major marathon or another type of race, because, you know, the people there, everyone is doing something so incredibly hard. And, and there's this recognition that, you know, there, there's no couch to hundred mile training plan available. You know, everyone there has put in such a tremendous amount of work and it feels like there's a, a collegial atmosphere and everyone's very respectful. I, I love the ultra scene. I, I love the fact that you know, it turns into a party after the race. There's beer around. It's there's there's so much junk food. I've never seen something you know like that after a normal race. Dean, if you were to make your own race, I would love to see a, a Dean Carnazes race. But you know, w- where would it be? What would it look like? How would you challenge the athletes? You know, what would you know? You've done so many different types of grand adventures around the world. If you were to create your own race, what what might that look like? Yeah, so I'm actually part of a race called the Golden Gate Trail Classic, which is happening here. And I live in a place called Marin County, which is just north of San Francisco. So it's a race I helped conceive, and it starts in San Francisco. So to me, a, a really celebrated race will, it'll be a, a hybrid of kind of like involving um, masses of people as well as getting out into the wilderness. So um, this race has a 100 kilometer, a 50 kilometer. Uh, a marathon, a half marathon, a 10K, and a 5K. So there'd be distances that uh, are approachable to everyone. So it's it's not just for elite athletes. Um, the, the cutoff times are really liberal. For instance, you have 24 hours to finish the 100K. That encourages more people to, to try it and not be so intimidated because they can go slower and not get cut off. But it would start in, you know, it's starting in San Francisco. So there'll be a lot of people there. And then it runs across the Golden Gate Bridge up into a place called the Marin Headlands, which is very remote and very isolated. And you run up to a place called Mount Tamalpais. So you run up a mountain and, and now you're, you know, you're in, um, in you know, in, in the forest, essentially. You go through Mirror Woods and you're by yourself. And then you come back across the Golden Gate Bridge and you're once again in humanity. And the Finnish Festival and the Star Festival are all in the same place. So you kind of intersperse people that have run shorter distances like 10Ks with people that just finished 100K. And that sort of um, hybrid event where it uh, really unites people is something that uh, I really uh, have strived for in helping to design the Golden Gate Trail Classic. What I like about that is that, you know, because it's a hybrid event, because you have shorter distances... And, you know, it starts in a place that isn't so remote. So, you know, you don't have to drive four hours somewhere, you know, from typically where you live. It's almost like you're exposing more runners to ultra marathon distances. You know, typically an ultra marathon won't have any sub ultra distances. You know, it will only be the 50K, maybe a 50 mile or 
100K distance and then maybe a 100-mile distance. And I think what you're doing is great because it's it's putting you know, half marathoners, it's putting shorter distance folks in proximity to that ultra scene. And I feel like that is, you know, almost intoxicating, you know, you, you start, you know, cause I moved to Denver and just being near the mountains, being near some of the, you know, the ultra scenes and some of the runners hanging out in Boulder doing, you know, epic runs outside of Boulder, Colorado, you know, just being in that proximity, a year, a year after moving, or actually less than a year, I was registered for my first 50K. And I think that there's real value in making it more accessible and in almost just putting it in front of runners. You don't have to race it. Come run the half marathon. But let's see how amazing these runners do. Let's watch how happy they are as they come to the finish line. And, and that is a, a really good gateway drug to the ultra marathon distances. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, it's good for everyone because I think the ultramarathoners have a new appreciation for what they're doing. I mean, when you're an ultramarathoner, you get kind of close to the subject matter. You know, and you talk to other ultramarathoners, oh, I'm going to run that. I'm going to run 100K next weekend or I'm going to run a 100 miler in a couple of weeks. It just kind of rolls off your tongue. But sometimes you lose perspective on how insane <laughs> what you're doing really is to most people. So I think that it, it cuts both ways. And to me, you know, the more people that get into running, the better. I, I don't see any downside to more people taking up running. I think it's, it, it improves the environment. I mean, people that are outside and running are more environmentally conscientious. Um, I think running's humbleizing, right? I mean, it kind of whittles down your, your ego in a big sort of way. Uh, running's very uniting. I mean, there's so many things, especially nowadays, that, that divide us, you know, be it the color of your skin or the God you worship, you know, the language you speak. Um, these things um, divide and separate us, but running is a commonality we all share. It's something that unites human beings, and it's beautiful in that way. So I'm really an advocate for just getting as many people as we can into running. Beautifully put, Dean. You made an interesting point, too, about just having those ultra marathoners, those more competitive folks, you know, see other other runners who might be running a 10K or a half marathon, and, and it makes them recognize you know, what they're doing is somewhat extreme, is somewhat competitive and, you know, grand in a certain way. And I've certainly felt that coming from a college track and cross country background. Now I work with a lot of runners who don't come from that background. And and I feel I'm almost appreciating not necessarily the difference in ability when it comes to distance, but the difference in ability when it comes to speed. And so I've really felt that at a personal level with, my ability to relate to the running community and really have empathy for folks, no matter where they are on that running journey. And I think that that, like you said, only helps the broader running community. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I think that um, a lot of collegiate runners like yourself don't even know this whole other kind of side of running exists, this ultra marathoning side. And I talk to, you know, competitive collegiate runners all the time. And I, you know, if they come out to an ultra marathoner, they're just blown away by an ultra marathon because it's so different than their running experience. Right. I mean, you're trained, you know what it's all about. You went through it. It's, it's all about speed. It's all about competition. Uh, it's all, all about the team. You know, it's about your uniform. It's about all these things where when you go to an ultra marathon, it's just, it, it's, it's a, almost like a different sport. And, you know, thankfully I've, you know, I, I run both shorter distances and long distances. So I've kind of seen them both and kind of, realize the, the difference um, in kind of the mindset and, you know, 
everything about an ultra marathon is so different than a, like a, a college race, right? And to me, it's eye-opening for a collegiate runner to come to an ultra marathon because they see that, wow, this is almost like doing something different than what I do. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with you. I think it is a different sport. I think, you know, to, to say that running is one sport and you have a hundred meter track sprinter versus a hundred or 200 miler ultra marathon person, those are very, very opposite ends of a very large spectrum. And I would argue that the skills required for those different activities almost make them into different sports. So yeah, there is a certain appreciation for it. And and I remember, you know, here's here's how running can humble you. I remember looking at some results for, you know, 50K ultra marathons and thinking, I should be able to do that. That is so easy. The winning time is like 845 mile pace. And wow, was I wrong. That is so hard because, you know, the altitude, the elevation changes, the absolute brutal nature of the technical trails, and so it is a very humbling experience to even attempt an ultra marathon, particularly if you're dealing with some of the more extreme terrains and environments. Yeah. And it's, it's very difficult to compare results from different races for that very point. I mean, some races are flat and fast, you know, 50 Ks where others are, you know, very hilly. So you can't say, you know, uh, I ran a, you know, a sub three 50 K um, on, a, on a hilly race where you can on a flat race. So it's hard to say, you know, here's, here's my, my 50 K PR without qualifying how much vertical, you know, there was in that particular race. Um, it also, you can't even compare like, uh, year over year with the race, like the Badwater ultra marathon, because, you know, one year it might be 131 degrees with a 25 mile an hour headwind. You know, another year it might be, it might be a cool year where it might only get up to 119 and no wind. So it's going to be a faster race. 119 degrees. That's a cool year. <laughs> it's 119, but it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm here in Denver, so we know a dry heat. It's not nearly as bad as, you know, the East Coast. That's where I grew up and where I did most of my running. And uh, that has its own challenges. But Dean, I'd love to, you know, looking back on your career, you know, do you think that you benefited from maybe a bit of luck when you first started running? Uh, so in other words, was it inevitable that you became an, an ultra runner like you have? Was it only a matter of time until you did this? Or are you just so grateful that a certain twist of fate brought you to where you are today? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, I, a lot of people hear about an ultra marathon, but maybe it never piques their interest. When, you know, I came across two guys that were training to run a 50 mile race, I, I just, it, it so expanded my, my perspective on what is humanly possible. I, I didn't think a human could run 50 continuous miles. And I, I was very curious about it. Like, you know, where are the hotels? I said, along where, where are the campgrounds? You know, where do you stop? And this guy said, no, the gun goes off and you just run and you stop when you reach the finish line. <laughs> and I thought that is insane. I I've got to try this. Like that, it sounds so wild to me. So I was receptive to the message but I was also very lucky to come across the message. Yeah, it's interesting to look back and, and just see, you know, those little pivot points in your life that bring you to certain major decisions, your decision to run a, you know, your first ultra marathon, your first race. You know, I, I showed up to the first practice of cross country thinking that I would high jump because it was like track. And it, it's just amazing to me through a stroke of luck that I ended up sticking with running. And 
If I didn't, if it would have been so easy to quit as a 13, 14 year old freshman in high school, and I just wouldn't be here today doing what I'm doing. So it's, it's always interesting to me to look back and see, you know, what some of those pivot points were. And to your point, I, I like to say every runner has a story. And I think every runner does. I mean, I think you just illustrated that point. Um, we all, every person who runs knows when they got into running, they know that inflection point where, oh, you know, I, I decided to try it and like, I really liked it. Or my buddy said, hey, come out and run with us or, or something like that. Or I heard about this race and I thought there's no way. So every runner's got a story. And that's how I started writing my books. I just thought, tell, tell your story because your story is a run, you know, a story that every runner can relate to. It might be a different story, but everyone knows exactly when they got into running. And you just, you know, you just illustrated that. Yeah. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Every runner, it's almost like, you know, you, you remember some of the best moments in your life. You remember the traumatic moments in your life. And, you know, looking back, you're, you're, you end up thinking to yourself, you know, was my first race or that first run I went on, was that a great moment in my life? It probably was a little bit traumatic at the same time, but I'm glad I remember it and I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a lot traumatic. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't forget my first run ever. I could not finish three miles and my legs felt like they had been put through the meat grinder afterward. And so, yeah, it's just one of those things where, you know, 22 years later, you're still thinking about it. Yeah. I think runners are, are unique because, um, you know, two people will go through that same experience you just described, like three miles and you've gone through a meat grinder. One person will say, that was awesome. I got it. I'm taking up this sport. The other person will say, I'm never doing anything like that again the rest of my life. So <laughs> we runners are a unique breed in that regard. Yeah, it's funny. It kind of opens up the, you know, it, it allows you to discover what kind of person you are. Because I, I specifically remember that you know, it was a harrowing three miles for me as a, as a 14 year old who wasn't really sure what they were getting into. But at a certain point, you know, when I finished, I was so bullheaded that I wanted to do it and not feel that way. And so then it was something that I had to conquer. And then it just kind of snowballed into this thing I got obsessed with. And, you know, maybe that resonates a little bit with you. Yeah. I mean, I think no other sport holds a mirror up to you like running, right? <laughs> It exposes you, uh, you know, to the core. You, you know, there's no hiding from um, an experience like what you went through. And uh, like I said, it's 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 traumatic, um, either both good and bad. But um, some of us thrive on that. Now, I think a lot of people might be thinking about their first ultra, and they have reservations. Maybe there's a, a little bit of fear there, and you know, it, it does hold that mirror up to you. And, and especially as you get into those longer distances where, you know, you can fake it through a 5k, you know, that's why there's a couch to 5k program. You can train for a couple months and finish a 5k, no problem. Where a lot of the times in ultra marathons, there's more potential for things to go wrong. There's more opportunities for disaster. What would you say to someone who might be thinking about their first ultra, but they have all of these conflicting thoughts in their head? You know, if the, if the notion exists that you want to do it, you've got to do it <laughs> because you're either going to, you know, you're either going to grow old saying, gosh, I wish I would have tried that. Or you're going to say, wow, I did it. And I loved it. And now I'm an ultra marathoner. Or I did it. And one and done, I, I got to the finish line, but it, I'm just so happy I did it. But if the notion exists to try it, you, you owe it to yourself because you're always going to have that in, in the back of your head. I wonder if I could do that. And I do doubt that anybody would finish a, 
an ultra and then regret it forever. No one's going to regret running their first ultra marathon. You know, you might regret it for a day or two afterwards, but you know, just like any race, then you start plotting the next one. How can I improve? What can I do better next time? You know, the runner's brain starts turning on and I, I completely agree. I think it's one of those things where if you've got that itch, you have to scratch it because once you scratch it, you might discover something all new about yourself. You might discover that this is something that you really love and you're going to do a lot more of them. No, I agree. I think, you know, you, you won't regret doing an ultra marathon, but you will regret not doing an ultra marathon. So if you, if you think about you wanting to do it, and you never do it. I think you're going to have more regrets that way than if you try it. hundred percent. And you might've just answered my last question for you, Dean, but you know, with all of the experiences that you've had with all of the types of races that you've run, the challenges, you know, you've had this whole life on the run. What's the most valuable lesson that you think you've learned maybe about the sport of running, maybe about yourself that you probably wouldn't have learned if you hadn't done all of this, this type of running over the last 20 plus years? That, um, you know, there's a saying, uh, in Greek, uh, old Toleman Nikkei, that means who dares wins. I think if you dare and you try and you sign up, you know, you, you're a winner. I don't, I don't care if you fail. I mean, having the courage to sign up and stand at that starting line is really tough. And, you know, you did it trying your first 50K. You didn't succeed, but I bet you anything you're going to go back and finish. Maybe the next one won't have almost 8,000 feet of elevation gain. <laughs> yeah. That probably yeah. wasn't my, a flat one that at probably wasn't my best idea. Do it in Denver, yeah. <laughs> Come to California and run a flat one at sea level. Yeah. I mean, I like the hills, but my first ultra, I certainly bit off uh, maybe a little bit more than I could chew. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dean, thanks so much for chatting with me. This is, it's just been an amazing conversation. And, you know, I wish we could make this a, a two hour long episode because I have all kinds of big questions, random questions, little questions for you. But uh, your book, A Runner's High is just so interesting. And you have such an amazing gift of storytelling. If anybody is in a rut and they want that extra jolt of motivation, your book is just such a jolt. So thanks for all you do. Thanks for writing this great book. Um, wh what can you leave us with? Where, where can we follow your grand adventures? Are you on social media anywhere? Where can we find you, Dean? Yeah. I mean, Someone told me if you type in Dean in Google, I'm the first Dean that comes up. <laughs> so if you want to track me down, just type in Dean and my last name you know, starts with a K. And yeah, I'm on social media. You know, I have a website, all, all those sort of things. Um, you know, and I, I try to, on my social media, I mean, I try to um, only share things that are worthwhile to the person that gets it, the recipient. So I'm not just promoting myself. I'm trying to share tidbits of wisdom or um, knowledge or make you laugh. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a two way street, I think social media. And uh, if you want to follow along with me, you can certainly, you know, check out my Instagram or my Twitter feed or Facebook. But if you want to pick up my book, I think that's a really great way to, to learn about who I am and learn about who you are as well. Yeah, definitely. And I will say that I do get a kick out of your Twitter posts. You've made me laugh a couple times in the last couple of weeks with some of your posts. So uh, thank you for that. And if folks can't find Dean Carnazis online, they're, they're probably not Googling hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> but Dean, thank you. So appreciate your time. Yeah, I hope we can. I hope you and I can share some footsteps together one day. That'd be great.
Yeah, well, let me know if you come to Denver. Uh, I'll show you some great parks, but ideally we'd get out into the mountains and, and do some fun climbing. Just don't take me on a, on a 50K with 8,000 8, feet of climbing. <laughs> no, we'll maybe do a shorter run to, to kick things off. <laughs> All right, Dean. Well, thanks again for being here. Thank you, Jason. It's been fun. That's a wrap for this episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dean. And if you have any feedback for me, I'd love to hear it. Be sure to find Dean online, give him a follow, and keep up with his adventures. His new book, A Runner's High, is also a wonderful read, and I highly recommend it if you're looking for an extra nudge to train hard this spring. Finally, let's get you some discounted hydration and sleep help. Our sponsor, Beam, is offering a 15% discount on your entire order at beamtlc.com with code JASON at checkout. The two products I'm enjoying the most are their Elevate Hydration line and Dream, their Sleepy Time mix. The Elevate Hydration options include Balance with Prebiotics and Probiotics for Happy Gut, Energy with a small amount of natural caffeine, and Recovery with Collagen and Amino Acids. They're low in sugar. I love the taste of all of them, especially the watermelon flavor, which really does taste like watermelon bubblicious. If you're a 90s kid, you know what I'm talking about. And I love that they use responsibly sourced ingredients. Now, Dream is very different. This is a powder that tastes like hot cocoa with a wonderful cinnamon flavor, and it helps you get a better sleep. It has THC-free CBD, melatonin, magnesium, L-theanine, and other compounds that help you get more restful sleep. And I don't know if you know this, but I have sleep issues. Sometimes I can't get to sleep because I'm thinking about too many things or I wake up in the middle of the night and then I can't get back to the sleep because my mind is racing. Dream is helping me sleep more soundly, get more hours of restorative sleep. It's making me feel a lot better throughout the day. They've sold over 1 million servings of Dream and I don't want you to miss out too. Use code JASON, which is not case sensitive, at checkout at beamtlc.com. You'll save 15% on whatever you buy. And if you couple that with a monthly subscription, your first month savings are gonna be 35%. Sleep better, recover faster, what's not to love? And I think that anything that can help you better absorb your training, recover from it, and adapt to it is something worthy of your attention. Go to beamtlc.com and use code JASON to save 15% today. All right, that's all for me today. Thank you for listening and subscribing to this podcast. Please leave a review in Apple Music if this episode got you fired up. I know I'm excited. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>